If you didn't uh, know beforehand, we are winding down to the end of the book of Galatians. Now, we're not going to finish it today, but um, it's actually a summary of the whole letter as we get down to this part. And what Paul is doing all throughout the letter, and he definitely does it here at the end, he develops the two contrasts, two mindsets, a contrast between two mindsets here. And either salvation is all of God, and it's all by Him, or it's what other people were saying there in Galatia, and they still do today, it's a joint effort between God and man. And so that's really what he's been writing about all the way through this, uh, this epistle. And uh, so that second mindset of a joint effort with God... He is trying to drive out that thought, that mindset of the Galatian church. And uh, it's a battle. It's a war that he's having to do. And we know that he wants a mindset of what he is setting forth. And he's setting forth the canon here, the rule, the standard. And we want to be in sync with that. He wants his people in Galatia to be in sync with uh, his mercy and grace and enjoy God's peace. Now, as Paul has told us about these two different understandings of salvation, there's two different philosophies on how the Christian life is to live out. And we have the one that's the way of grace, and the other one is the way of law. We either walk by the Spirit, does that sound familiar? Or we walk by the flesh. And that's what he's been hitting on. So what's at stake here really is Christian freedom being free in Christ, and uh, we live out our Christian lives either in a freedom or in uh, somewhat of a bondage, a bondage to our fleshly thoughts and uh, law that has uh, taken us and uh, embraced us, and we want to be free from that. So we want to be committed to God's Word. We also want to fall on our knees in prayer, right? We have the Word of God and then prayer to God. And uh, in all that, we're always dependent upon Him. When we pray, we're totally dependent, aren't we? 100%. So it's, it's God plus nobody else or anything else. And also, it means that I am committed to the church as we walk in the Spirit. So to the Word, to the prayer, to His very body, body of Christ. It's called body life. And not just uh, attending, but being a part of that body of Christ as we pray for each other, and as we serve each other. So it, it dramatically affects all the priorities in our life, doesn't it? This, um, this one mindset. And we know the Galatian church had been corrupted. It had already come in. And the Judaizing teachers were teaching salvation by works, really. That's what they were saying. Of course, they, they wouldn't say that, but... Unless you do this, unless you're circumcised, unless you follow the holy days, whatever else that goes along with that, you really are not saved. And that's salvation by works, isn't it? So, um, you're not a true Christian, they say, unless you follow the law of Moses. So they impose this legal system on the people. Can you imagine that? And it still happens today. The people are troubled. The people are confused. And uh, Paul is coming on and he's trying to give them one final word here to wrap this all up. And that's why he has this 
summary in verses 11 through 18. And you know, they, they told the Galatians that um, you have to believe in this law and really Paul was saying you trust in Christ. They're saying you're saved by works. He's saying you're saved by grace. These are simple, aren't they? They said you live by law and he says you live by the Spirit. Right? How often has he said this all the way through Galatians? So it's a final kind of uh, summary. And uh, he's wanting the people to deny the flesh, all the fleshly works that they they do, and live in the grace and the very life of uh, the Spirit. So that's the last argument. Now the key to this whole argument that he's having is the cross of Christ. That is the key. That is the crux. That's where we're headed. That's where we're always to be at. The cross of Christ and how important it is. And that's what he's going to put forth here. Um, Paul makes this cross the very dividing line. The simple cross, but yet so profound, right? Paul said in verse 14, as we're looking at this today, God forbid that I should glory except in the cross. That's the crux of this entire section. That's the crux of Galatians, the New Testament, and the Old Testament. It's what the whole Bible is about. Cross. The cross of Jesus Christ. And so, that's the one single factor. It's so simple to us, but yet it can get away from us so easy. If you go around the world, you'll see all sorts of different religions and you'll see all sorts of different philosophies, and it boils down to we don't have to worry about any of those. There's just one thing that we have to concentrate, and that's the cross, Christ on it. If anybody says anything else about that cross, that it's not the complete work of Christ, it's a cult. It's another religion doesn't matter what they say and how religious they are, if they don't get the cross right and what happened there, nothing else matters. Christianity has the answer. We have the answer right in, in our book right here. It's the cross of Christ. And that's what we can boast in. We actually have, you know, the not many mighty, not many noble. We are those people. And we have the answer for eternity. I can't believe I don't have the answer to a lot of other things. I'm telling you, you know. But I tell you, this is one thing I am absolutely for sure, and it's not because of my great mind, even though that's renewed, as Luke put forward so much. Keep I keep thinking that all the time. I renew that mind, and we got to keep doing that. See, we just don't stop with it. We we keep renewing that mind. And uh, it, when we think that way, then we have something that we really realize we boast in. So. Without further ado, let's turn to Galatians chapter 6. Let's go to verse 11. Let's stand up. And we're going to take it into verse 14. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised. Simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves. But they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. 
But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to stop there because that's where we're going to end today and we'll pick it up next week. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word and help us to get this truth into our minds. Help us to be open. Help me be able to explain Your Word, to expound it, that it will come alive. Help our hearts to be open, our minds. Help us to be renewed today, right now, so that it will help us as we march on in eternity. In Jesus' name, Amen. See with what large letters... Now, your Bibles probably don't have large letters there. Mine don't. Could have done that. (laughs) Um, But there's some significance here. This is dealing with the outward appearance. And somehow, verse 11 has got to tie in with where we've been and where we're going. And this has been a difficult verse ever since Paul has written it or at least whenever the church tried to interpret it. There are many different ideas on this, and I'm not going to be dogmatic about it here today, but I can give you some ideas I think that may help us a little bit. You can say, why is this here? For one thing, I think he was really trying to close this letter up. And have you ever written something, and you think of something else, and you put, and it's very important, and you just put it on there, and it's almost like, how did that get here? But... God is never taking anything by accident, and uh, Paul here is inspired by God, so this is dealing with the authority of the Word as he puts this, see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand? <laughs> what are you saying? What do you say there, Paul? Um, like I say, we can't say positively, and there are quite a few of these, but I, I do want you to know, uh, most of the time when Paul wrote letters, he dictated He dictated to like a secretary or like a scribe. And uh, that's really how he wrote. It was, uh, he was inspired by God and then the writer put it down. And at the end of letters, uh, on three of them, we find verses where he actually um, writes something at the end. And uh, it's almost like putting his signature on the end of it and saying something. I want you to pay attention. And, And there are good reasons for that. Uh, he definitely gets personal in there sometimes, but uh, there were people forging letters at that time. So he's showing, hey, this is uh, exactly right. this is this is me. This is who I've written. So I, I think that's uh, really important. There, there are uh, three letters that he did that: First uh, Corinthians and Colossians and Second Thessalonians, where he actually tacked that on. Uh, you could say tack it on. Uh, I don't know if that's even proper. He says, with my own hand, I'm writing this uh, of my own. Uh, See with what large letters I, and it says in my version, am writing. But to be a little more accurate in the uh, Greek translation, I see that it could very well be, I have written. And it's uh, possible, and and, uh, many people and many good expositors will say that he probably could have written this whole letter by himself this time. Now, that may sound surprising. I hadn't heard of that too much, but then I started uh, checking it out, and I saw a lot of good, formidable guys did that. And uh, if that be okay, that's all right. And if, and, and uh, then if it's not him, it's okay. But it's still the Word of God, you know, just like always. But 
you know, he was fuming from the very beginning. As he learned about what was happening in Galatia, he'd come by there and they'd set up the church there and then he hears this news of the Judaizers coming in. He's angry. He's mad at false religion. And so he's, he's writing this down. He's writing and he makes this very uh, intensely personal. It's a rebuking letter. It's a personal confrontation. And uh, he does it in a personal way. And so possibly he could have written the whole letter. He, somewhere he finds uh, uh, the nearest pen, picks up the uh, whatever ink that was there, and he doesn't wait for a scribe. Boom, he just takes off starting to write. That could be. Another thing is that we know as, as he uh, wrote, um, in this sense it was large, it was probably scribbly, scrawling letters. They're, they're very big. Some say he had bad eyesight. And so if Paul had bad eyesight, you've seen people that have bad eyesight and they write real big or read big print, you know? They come in there and want that big 16-point type. And the bigger, the better. And so when you write, right, right Bob, you write just a little bit bigger now than you did probably? No, but I use a magnifier. Magnifier. Before I go. Give me the biggest print you can get, right? Yeah. Well, if that be the case, I, I could see why that could be too. That could very well be. Um, chapter 4, verse 13 gives us a little hint on that. He says, But you know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. Whenever I came in there, I was like, I really was sick. Some say he had gotten malaria or something, and, and uh, also it brought on this eye disease. And he says, And that was a trial to you in my bodily condition, but you did not despise or loathe, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus Himself. Where then is the sense of blessing you had? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. Because maybe he's lacking in being able to see very good. And if, if you know they loved him so much and what he is doing that they would have possibly if, if it had been possible they would have given him the eyes the, the the first eye donors if they could have been you know for Paul um, but it wasn't really possible but uh, at any rate he puts that there and um, by the way another thought you know is uh, when you put down in big print you've seen it uh, well people do it on the internet now and they send stuff you know like on email. And sometimes they'll be writing and or putting down in, in small type, and all of a sudden, boom, they're in capital letters, and they put the bold face on each one. You know, boom, boom. And it's like, man, if you do that too much, it's like, I can't read this. This is too much. You know, it's like you're shouting. But when you want to get something emphasized, you have something big, right? So it even works as that purpose, too. You know, that's, that's okay. So that's what people, some people would be saying. Uh, and, and it's also interesting, too, you go into to studying at that time uh, who the scribes are and what they did. There were four types of people who wrote. There was the professional scribe who was really good. I mean, he was the best. And he had had this nice, beautiful, flowing type writing. You know, and, and it was a cursive. It would be a flowing cursive. Well, there would be a second type of scribe that wouldn't be as good as that guy, but he would definitely be able to, uh, to write. Uh, not necessarily uh, a scribe, but a very well-educated person who would do that. Um, and uh, we know that Paul could have had some of these guys that were writing his letters. Sometimes we don't know who they were that were actually pinning them down. They could have been like that. Not necessarily professional scribes, but uh, they're pretty good. And, and even a, a third writer is the guys who can write. 
Um, nothing fantastic. It's nothing flowing or anything, but they get the message across. You know, and that's probably what most of us are when we write. And some of you probably are really good at writing. You know, you have a talent, and a, you know. And, but um, but these guys could have been the, some of the guys that uh, Paul could have used too. And then you have a fourth kind of guy. It's just everyday type handwriting. It it's not really that good. Uh, you can read most of it, you know, or you can read it. Uh, and they, they would write maybe in a, a big block style, you know, just really big. You've seen, like, first graders, and they have, you know, they're not writing really small at first, are they? They're writing really big. As a matter of fact, as the older that you get, the more you can really appreciate that first grade writing. <laughs> big block letters, you know. So anyway, uh, that's some of the things that are going on. And, and Paul might have, you know, been because of his eyesight and all what's going on. He's very well educated. We know that he's one of the best educated in in in, in the world at that time, as far as uh, Judaism goes and such. And so we know he could write. Um, that wasn't really the reason why why he didn't write, but there might have been some kind of ailment or or whatever. But um, you know, we, he he was trained in the law, so he could have been very good at the Semitic languages, Hebrew. Um, that's what he'd be trained in. Uh, Greek would be so-so. He, he definitely knew the Greek. He knew those languages. But I believe as he looks at those, and I think this is where this comes into play, and it kind of helps us go into verse 12, if you don't mind. This is, you know, maybe I'm forcing it, but I don't think so. I, I think this really could make sense. Paul really wasn't into the outward things. And his writing is not going to be the best. He says, see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand? See this? It, you know, it doesn't look the best. It's not that flowing cursive type there. It might be cursive, but it's a little... little. It, it needs. There's something there to be desired. You know? And Paul is not about outward appearance, is he? The external. The show. The Judaizers are. They're, they're all about show. They're all about showing people the best. Outwardly, man, it really looks good. And they would hire the best of the best of the scribes. And you know, in Judaism, they, there were the scribes at the time of Jesus. These were the guys, the, the professional writers. I mean, it just flowed. Beautiful words. And that's what got written down and such in all the writings that they had. But it's, it, could it be that Paul is saying, look at these big old chicken scratches that I have written here. That's my first grade teacher. I remember hearing there were chicken scratches uh, all the way up into the third and the fourth grade and such. And Anyway, it's like he's using this kind of like a parable. Uh, he, he could care less about what the letters look like as long as the message was able to be read. It's the content is what counts. So... As you see that, then it does go into verse 12, those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh. I've always wondered why that verse 11 was there, and that could be a good explanation. And I believe thanks to uh, John MacArthur, as he did a study on the scribes and such, that helped me understand how 11 flows into 12. I think it makes a, a lot of sense. But like I say, we're not. we gave you quite a few different views there, and they all could kind of come into combination there too. Um, there are some who really care about the outward appearance. Everything has got to look look good. You know, the church. You know, we'd like to really look good, but we're people who are sinners. We've been saved by grace, and I think what is it Luther said? It's uh, it's just like uh, 
uh, when you have justification, uh, you have uh, the, the, the cow manure, and whenever the snow comes, it just covers it and makes it look really good, right? <laughs> yeah. But tombs that were painted white, whitewashed tombs, painted sepulchers. That's what they were. Paul said, I'm not concerned what this looks like here at the end. I'm, I'm showing, this is me writing, whether it's him writing right at the very end or if he's written the whole letter. He says, now, this is me. I want you to know this. And it's almost like a stamp maybe. but um, And then he goes into those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh. Oh, does that really hit. And if, really what he's hitting on them is that he's confronting this issue of a crossless Christ. We're going to look at a, the crossless Christ that they offer versus what he offers, which is the cross of Jesus Christ. So, two points today, but they're broken down. First of all, we, that's what we consider. And he says, those, in verse 12, first, first word, those, well, who are those? Uh, that's easy, isn't it? If you've gone along with the context. That's what's great about context and verse-by-verse um, verse teaching, expository. You, with what we build upon, I don't really have to expound on why this is those and go back to all those scriptures. We've already been there for months and months and months, haven't we? We've been there. We know who the, those are. It's the Judaizers. And these are like Jewish Christians, so-called Jewish Christians, who taught a Jesus plus religion. Yes, it's Jesus. Did they ever deny the life of Christ? No, not at all. Did they ever deny that He was the Son of God? No. Did uh, did they ever deny that He uh, died on the cross and even for for sins? Um, did they deny that He was buried and, and resurrected? No, they really didn't. They didn't do that. You think, well, that that sounds like they're they're right on. It doesn't sound like they're a cult, does it? Uh, Matter of fact, did they deny preaching, believing in Jesus Christ? Of course not. That was, yeah, they preached Jesus. You know, believe in Jesus. But the essence is, what Christ started, we have to finish. That bridge that goes like three quarters or ninety percent over the river, it stops, and then you have to do the rest. That means something... That's kind of like what Arminianism is. It will take you so far and then it stops. He doesn't finish it. Now it's up to you to get saved, buddy. And they'll plead and plead with you. Well, we want to plead. We want to plead the Gospel, the cross. And we are to trust in Him. But the thing is, is that He has to take this thing all the way over. This bridge has to go. it. Otherwise, we can't close that gap. Otherwise, it's... Guys, it's finished almost. Remember, He said, it is finished, but... No, it's not that. It is finished. The work is done. It was done at the cross. There's nothing we can add. And, but but they taught this. Now, um, see, that's what's going on. 
That's Arminianism back there already in the very first century. Matter of fact, that Arminianism had always been around. It's um, trying to uh, finish what God starts. We, we can do it, right? Now, in the first section of this book of Galatians, he wiped out their doctrine and he proved doctrinally that they were wrong. He's already proven that. Now, he concludes... And he's really going to attack their motives here at the very end. He hits the motives of why they did what they did. Why did they teach what they taught? Why did they believe that? Why did they want you to believe that? What what is their motive? Well, right here off the bat, they desire to make a good showing in the flesh. They want to show off. They want to look good. It's a problem with pride. That's what their ministry was about. It was all about pride. The boasting of, hey, cutting away the foreskin and using that to display their spirituality. You know, you have to do that. That's a demand. And if you're not, then you're not a believer. Uh, The verb here, to make a good showing, is to have a good face. To put something on. The face is the part of the person... I think that most visibly is seen uh, when people see our responses, our expressions, our feelings, right? And so they put on a good face. They put their best face forward. It's really hypocrisy, isn't it? But it's it's a positive impression, and it's an honor. I mean, a, a, an honor rating that they have. You know, when people will do their thing and the way that they do it. But it's an irony also. (laughs) The irony is this, is that their favorable impression, they want to make a really good impression, it has to do with the most unpresentable part in the body of a male. And so you can see it. uh, That's what they're making this whole thing about. And Paul says their motive is to make a good showing in the flesh. They worked to bring the Galatian person to the point of where they could be fully Jews. A background of circumcision and then all the other holy things that we do. To play the role. To have a fair appearance. Everything that you could do to persuade people to convert You'll play their game and make it look good. People will really be appealed to by what they do. And uh, so they will almost make people make decisions. How much do we have of that today? People wanting to make people make decisions. They call it conversion by making those decisions, by appealing from the flesh. And uh, they thought they were making a good showing. And then when one came to Christ, whether it was real or not, who knows how many, but they could say this, look what I've done. Look what I've obeyed. And it's true. Yeah, they did do that. If you're a Gentile and all of a sudden you're having circumcision, that was a pretty big deal. Hey, I did that. I went through all the things and now that makes me fully officially a Christian now. you know, And Judaized at the same time. You know what? They submitted to all that. Can you imagine the motions that they go through? The emotions 
that they have here in relationship to, to Christ, as they would say. It sure looks good on the outside. And that's why you would have so many people filling pews in churches that actually did something. As long as they do something, they got baptized because they walked down the aisle, because they signed the card, said a prayer, right? We all know about that. But that does give them something to boast in. Well, how do you know you're saved? Because I walked down the aisle that day and signed a card and I'm a member of the church and then I got baptized. Well, if that's the reason, they're not a Christian. Okay, but if they did that, does that not make them a Christian? Well, not necessarily. I mean, Christ can can do that despite the fact of people doing things. But it looks good on the outside to go through the motions. But what if there's no cross? Really, the cross is not part of their lives. There's no true commitment here. Nothing is found at the cross. That is what Paul is very much addressing here. Look in Matthew 6, verse 1. And So we hammer this down, and then we'll go to the next word. Uh, Jesus really spoke out on this to these religious people. Matthew 6, 1. Beware of practicing your, you notice that, your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward of the Father who's in heaven. These are men pleasers. They want to be noticed by people. They practice their righteousness so people can see them. And verse 5, When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. It's right here. This is all they get. This is the best that it gets. Do you see their motives? It's before men. And then we get verse 16. Whenever you fast, you do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites. What's a hypocrite? Hupokrite. It's one who put, would be an actor on stage and they actually put masks on them. It, that really wasn't who that was. It wasn't that. But they were playing a different part. A hypocrite is one who plays another part. He's acting like somebody else that he's really not. For they neglect their appearance. So here, they look, make it look good by neglecting their appearance. It's still an outward thing, isn't it? That they'll be noticed by men when they're fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. So it goes. Look at Luke sixteen fifteen, And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men. But God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. This fake religion they were having. Look in Luke 20. Luke chapter 20, verse 45. And while all the people were listening, He said to the disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love respectful greetings in the marketplaces and chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets who devour widows' houses and for appearance's sake offer long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. Beware of the scribes. Now he's talking about the scribes. We were talking about scribes earlier. These guys are considered to be the... I mean, these were the top professional men of Israel. People looked up to these guys and they had their long robes where people would say, oh, there's a scribe. Well, how do you know it? Well, look at him. Look what he's wearing. They would wear those. You know, today, 
it's like, and I'm, I can't really say it's absolutely wrong for everybody, and I have to watch my heart, and, you know, I don't know their hearts, but there are a lot of people wearing robes that people go, hi, holy man. You know, it's, it's just like they're a step above, and people take pride in the doctorate degree that they have as they wear this robe, as they expound the Word of God. I, I don't know. I, I really have troubles with it. I, I, I And I know there are some who do it and it's, it's very legitimate. It's been a part of their tradition. But I think of this as how much pride it can really bring up. And so, if you see somebody like that, don't start um, saying, well, Dennis says that's evil and that's wicked because of what they're doing. But it, it certainly reminds me of these passages. And then you, then you see, I, I can tell you, you know, the the, the Pope's what they wear and how the people worship them and bow down the cardinals, the bishops, the priests. You are to call them Father. That's wicked. That's nothing but straight from the demonic spirits as they wear those robes. And it's pride. And they hold themselves above the laity. That's what it's all about. They have these different degrees. It's a pride, isn't it? It's a terrible pride. And that's what's always happened. I'm sure the priests in the Old Testament days probably had some of that same kind of thought too. Now, they were commanded to wear those. It was all a picture. It's amazing what all of those things were fulfilled and done. And it's not the clothes and it's not the outward that makes one that spiritual person. So as we look at Galatians 6, now we go to the next word. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised. Compel. That's an important word. And there's nothing wrong with a Gentile being circumcised. Matter of fact, that's pretty well the standard here for health reasons. This all gets into the spiritual thing. It doesn't have anything to do with being spiritual. Everything is wrong, though, in compelling a Gentile to be circumcised because that will make you right with God. Unless you follow the full commandments of the law of Moses, you can't be in our group. <laughs> so we constrained people by the rule of law and their religious ceremonies, the particular days that they had, and the Sabbath. The Sabbath is still misunderstood. You have a lot of... Christian people say, and I say that loosely, but they will say you have to worship on Saturday because that is the Sabbath. If they want to do that, that's fine. If somebody wants to worship on the Sabbath, go right ahead. It's good. Worship every day. Matter of fact, every day is a Sabbath. There's a special day that we have that happens to celebrate the resurrection, and it's Sunday, and it's the first day of the week. And we have New Testament uh, passages that deal with it. But as far as the day is concerned... If people couldn't meet on a Sunday, would God condemn us because we have to meet on Mondays because it's illegal and we can't even get a building on Sundays? What if it came to that? It's okay. You can worship on Monday. Worship on Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever. Uh, Every day, but we happen to come together and and we know that that's one day most people are off. And uh, it really works really good and it has for 2,000 years. Uh, But they had uh, these kind of... uh, Things, the holy days, the customs, and everything they had to follow. How would you like to be under all that? Put them right under the law that it had always been. So they would sway men 
to follow their rules. They compelled them. Whether it's by force in a sense, it was mainly by just being over on top of them and saying, hey, I want to tell you, you really have you have to do this. Now, what's next? Uh, simply, why did they do this? Simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. We've already seen their motive, and it comes down to that Paul's implying that uh, if your opponents could only succeed in making proselytes by the normal Jewish way of circumcision, by submitting to the law, they're not going to incur the wrath that comes from their people. Okay, they're Jewish, and okay, they they actually believe in the, that the Messiah came here. But maybe some parents and families said we can still communicate with them. Some people kicked them right on out. Of course, they lost their jobs and everything. But some people kind of kept it quiet, never mentioned the cross. That's detestable. The Messiah being on the cross. I mean, that's that's the last thing that a Jewish person wants to hear. And that's why they would they would kill and persecute people. People were martyrs because of that. We see it all through the, the book of Acts. And uh, there were the zealous type. There were the countrymen. And there were Judaizers that said they were actually, they were Christians, you know. So you have a, a, a vast majority of people are at, if you're living in that area or you're living in places out in where Galatia's at and you have the synagogues and you have Jewish people um, you don't want to upset the apple cart. And you want to come in and say, hey, listen, nothing's really changed. It's all the same as it was. We just see that this man uh, proclaimed to be the Messiah and we believe in him. That's really about as good as their gospel God. As long as they didn't mention the cross and uh, some of the most important things about how we're justified there, um, you know, they wanted to escape persecution. So they kind of walked the middle ground. And so there's no persecution to the Judaizers. The cross was offensive. I mean, that's just about as bad as it gets. To the Jew, a cross was uh, the curse. It's mentioned in the Old Testament. It's a curse. That's the last thing you wanted and the Roman people were crucifying some of their people. Even even some of their bad people. I mean, they just didn't like that at all. But the thing is, the Roman world showed how bad it was. Even though they used crucifixion, if you were a citizen of Rome, you would never be crucified. I mean, it's just absolutely the worst thing that could happen. So it's very offensive to the Jew. And, and to find one's salvation solely in the cross of Christ was abominable to anybody who had Jewish blood. I mean, it was like the worst thing that could be. So if you're um, an unbelieving Jew and you see somebody like that, you, you detest somebody that, that that promotes that. But they, So you can see why they promote uns, uh, you know, uh, circumcision and all the other things that, that go along with this. So they, they want to gain the praise of the Jews. So that's, that's, their, that's their idea. And uh, so they don't want to be persecuted. Uh, they want to be accepted by all and not to preach the cross. They preach about Christ and get away with it. 
Look at Acts 5, 29 through 33. And we're not going through all the book of Acts. We're just going to go on one here. But here you have the preaching of the Gospel. The cross of Christ. I mean, it's being preached um, correctly. Verse 29, Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Now, they, they preach the Gospel. They get arrested. They're standing before the council. We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging Him on a cross. The Jews never did that. They could say, well, the Romans did it. But they, that was their desire, wasn't it? They never wanted to do that. The regular Jewish person. He is the one whom God exalted to His right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel. Did you catch that? He grants repentance and forgiveness of sins. And look at this. And we are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. And what, what happened? Verse 33. But when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and intended to kill them. Right there. Why? Because he talked about this Jesus who was put to death by hanging Him on the cross. Of course, they mentioned the resurrection. <laughs> resurrection is really important too, right? Paul exposes their motives. He exposes their character of who they really are. They are showing a good show in the flesh to those Jewish people, the people in the synagogues. You know what the cross does? The cross is an offense The cross shows you how guilty you are. If a perfect man who is God died on the cross for your sins, it makes you guilty. It's done, though. You can be thankful for that. It means that one is hell-bound if they don't trust in this work on the cross. It means that Jesus is the only way for salvation. The cross is the only way for salvation. That really pits us up against the world, doesn't it? You'd almost like to say in your humanness, yeah, but... No, we don't. But there are many other Christians... And I put that very loosely too because I heard this at the store a lot. Well-meaning people who would say, yeah, I trust in Christ alone and that sacrifice, but you know all those other people that are out there, they don't get a chance and they have their own religions. And you know what? Those Buddhists, they're going to heaven too. Well, if you're a Buddhist and you convert to Jesus Christ and recognizing Him as the only way, if you don't, you're calling Him a liar. See? And, and uh, of course, Buddhism, Hinduism, Sikhism. How about Muslim? How about that religion? Oh. How about all the cults? None of them are right unless they trust in Jesus Christ dying on the cross as a sacrifice for their sins. People don't like the cross. Do you see that? It's bloody. It means He spilled His blood for my sin. You know what? All other religions are demon-inspired. All, if they don't trust in this one way. You say, Dennis, that's really awful narrow. That's what this Bible has spoken to the church for 2,000 years. We can't ever deny that. The church is giving way to that because they want to be politically correct. And I know it's not politically correct to say, well, I do want to tell you, 
that Jesus is the only way. There is no other way and it's through His cross. Now, my humanist would like to say, hey, you're okay. You're a pretty good guy. <laughs> no. The cross says, no, there is none good. There is no, not even one who is righteous. You know what? It's very unpalatable to people when you say this. They say, I don't want to offend people. The cross is what offends people. It does. It always has. You can say, well, why didn't God make it a little bit simpler for us? There's only one way. There's only one way He could have, there is no other way He could have done it. First, because God is God and He's going to always do the best, isn't He? 1 Corinthians 18, Paul goes into Corinth. He had been in Athens. He has been up against the philosophies of the world. That's just what we've been talking about. And guess what? He went and presented just what we've been talking about. He said, Paul, not in Athens. This is going to be embarrassing. Paul, as a matter of fact, some people probably like to just kind of start stepping away. Oh, no, he's going to say it. He's going to say Jesus is the only way and He died and, and resurrected. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 1.18. You know where he went after Athens, don't you? There were a few that followed him. For the word, he goes to Corinth. This is the worst immoral, corrupt city in the world. It can't get any worse than Corinth. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The cross is the power of God. Move on to verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified to Jews, a stumbling block. And to Gentiles, foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks. They come from all over. Jews and Greeks defines all people. Jews, Greeks. Christ, the power of God. The wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God, is what they call that, is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Thank the Lord. And then it goes into that, consider your calling, brethren. There are not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world, and the despised God has chosen the things that are not, so that He may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. We can't take anything to Him and say, hey God, look at that. That's pretty good, isn't it? (laughs) Oh my. Wow. It's unpalatable to people who do not want the Gospel. But the ones who are called will answer that at some time. Now we go to verse 13. For those who are circumcised... They do not even keep the law themselves. But they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. These religious leaders who preach the law, teach the law, they boast of their regard for the law. They're nothing but hypocrites. 
They don't keep the law themselves, Paul says. Well, of course they can. Matter of fact, was it back in Galatians 3.10? It says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. Who's under a curse? Everybody. <laughs> For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Nobody can perform them. Everybody's cursed. Christ was put on the cross and He was cursed because He took our sin, right? People followed their boasting and how holy they were, how holy they had become in the things that they had done. Those Judaizers came in there and put another notch on the belt. We had 255 people come to our revival service last night that came down the aisle. We had 400 baptisms last year. We've heard that, haven't we? Well, if if they did and they were by God, well, fantastic. I rejoice. But you know what? In the back of my mind, I'm saying, how do you know? Yeah, they walked the aisle. There's some outward thing there. But you don't know if they're really Christians. We trust the fact that, hey, they heard the Gospel. I hope the cross was preached. And they saw that they were wretches and they needed Christ alone. And if they're trusting in that, then they are, right? But just because people came down and they, boy, they, you know, they put those numbers up. Matter of fact, it's amazing how many preachers I've known who would just blow up numbers out of nowhere. And as more people that, I mean, ten times the amount of people that can be in their church, you know, physically, how does that, how does it work? Or that many people got, they had 400 people baptized in their church that year, and they have 50 people that come to church. Where'd they go? <laughs> These guys take pride in it. Look at what, look at what people I saved and brought them in. Oh, I used to hear that all the time. And just, oh, it kind of, oh, maybe kind of upset the way they would say it. It was boasting. See, this is what this is. They're boasting in the flesh, right? They're boasting. I'm thankful that Lord did this. You know, God can do that. He can bring huge numbers at a time. He can do that. He, He does do that. He's done it. But most often it's done with a cheap gospel. That's what irritates me. So there's obedience to this. You know, the Judaizers are denounced by Paul as idolaters, as apostates, uh, because of their devotion to the law. They weren't even obedient to the law. They couldn't. Do it. They would. They would get other people in there and make them do things, and and then that made them look good. But they themselves didn't keep it. And Stephen even preached a sermon about that that they didn't keep the law. And uh, there's, they turned a temple into a house made with hands, a pagan temple. That's also in Acts 7 in that sermon. Um, Jesus spoke about this kind of thing in Matthew 23, where He says, Whoa! Right? Woe to the scribes, the Pharisees, the hypocrites. And Paul is having to do the same thing. Let 
Look at verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land. They go way out to make one proselyte, to convert to Judaism. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. Who said that? Jesus. Woe to you, right? They made people even worse than them when they went out and fell. You read that whole chapter and that's what that's about. Okay, well that's dealing with uh, boasting in the flesh. Now let's look at boasting in the cross. This is where it's at, folks. But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. If the Judaizers boast in circumcised human flesh, may I never boast in anything. They're boasting there. May I never boast anything but Christ. Christ crucified. That's the very ground of His rejoicing. And you know, uh, the word is Megenita there. May it never be. No way. It cannot happen. It would be impossible. This is impossible that I would boast except on the cross of Christ. And in Jeremiah 9.23-25, through 25, we, uh, kind of, Gives us support on this. It's almost like Paul was thinking of this era, area that he would be at. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast about this that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, Righteousness on earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. That's what I delight in. And this is what you're to boast in. That sounds like a song, doesn't it? <laughs> After I was thinking about this last night, in this Jeremiah 9 passage, ah, oh, it's too bad we didn't sing that song today, right? Let the wise man boast in his riches, the wisdom, the strength, riches. That's where that song came out of, matter of fact. The cross. In the context of the ancient world, I know we, we see it today as jewelry and pictures and such, but it is very symbolic. I'm glad there is a symbolic picture of Christ. Of course, it can be taken so lightly. But You know, it's interesting that Paul chose this most peculiar and most scandalous thing to say. He's talking about this, this cross. May it never, never be that I boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. They never mentioned this in society. They never talked about it. Only when it happened, when they did it. Sometimes that could be quite frequently. But it definitely ran counter to even Roman thinking. I mean, this is not a, a thing that the normal human being likes to relish in. Matter of fact, the whole ethics system, the whole ethos of the religious systems of the world would not be talking about the cross. <laughs> no way. You don't see that in any kind of other religions. They don't talk about the cross at all. And when they do, they, they say it wasn't a cross. It was, it was something else. You ever heard of that? And the cults make it up that he really didn't even die on a, on a cross or he died on a stake. You ever heard of that one? He died on a stake. That's trying to blow out the very center piece of what Christianity is about. 
the whole ethos, uh, you know, uh, among educated people, they don't want to talk about that. You know, it's like talking about the electric chair. People in their everyday conversation talk about the electric chair. Matter of fact, does that exist anymore? It talks about the, the drugs in a more, they say, humane way. But it was humiliating. It, it was for the worst of the worst criminals. That's really what that was for. And it was never for a Roman citizen. And the Jews hated it. Uh, the Romans hated it. Everybody hated it. The Greco-Roman world, and here the Christians are talking about a crucified God. Uh, a Hingle, he said, the one whom Christians claim as their God is a dead God. Well, it makes sense, doesn't it? Oh, he's God. Well, he died on the cross. He died. He's dead. If you are on a cross, you're condemned. You're crucified. You are cursed as the Jewish law said. It's the worst form of death that can be. And here Paul mentions it. I boast in it. Now, I think we've heard that and we know the cross and we talk about it every week. Have, you, have we ever not talked about the cross in some manner or form? I mean, it's, that's the whole focus. It, it's the worst kind of death anybody can suffer. And to Judaism, man, was it a stumbling block. Offense to the Gentile. Quite a stumbling block. It was reserved for the worst traitors to Israel, for them to have that foolishness. And they're perishing. We read that in First Corinthians there. Um, no one in his day would have thought about boasting in such an instrument of death. The pagans glory in religious relics. You know what I'm talking about. It can be bones. Roman Catholicism has bones that you can worship. You know, the relics. And they have them put in places where people can go and get more spiritual. And the pagans do that. That's nothing new. And I mean, that's the elite. I mean, there are images. There are signs. There are symbols. The outward thing. The buildings look beautiful. And they have great big uh, cathedral edifices and steeples. I wouldn't mind having a steeple, though. At least people could say, hey, there's a church there. You know, so I'm not against the steeple, but, you know, I mean, think about all those great buildings. Think about, and, and here in America, you think in Europe, and now those great buildings have been turned into something else. They're not even church. People don't even go to church on Sundays there. Uh, there really isn't much, anything left. It's all uh, it's a skeleton. It's sad. We're going the way that uh, the English. European people are. The religious feelings that it can bring up, the candles that are burning. Dennis, it's so religious though. I feel so good. I say, Dennis, you guys have heard this. You've talked to people who said, yeah, but there's nothing like that. That religious feel that I get and and I see the priest coming down with his garb on and it just makes me feel like I've been to church. (laughs) What did they... What gospel did they preach in today? What what was their message? I don't know, but I walked down the aisle and I took the sacrament and that's how I got the Holy Spirit. Millions. Millions and millions are doing that right now thinking they've had a relationship with God as they've been in that edifice. And then back it off from there, the experiences that people have, whether it be in that kind of church or in a Protestant church that's no longer Protestant, 
And it's anything and everything, but it's based on experience. And Oh, how it made me feel. I felt like I worshipped today. Now, there are feelings and emotions that we express, and that, that's part of it. But it's all based upon the Word. If the Word of God is preached and it's sung and it's shared with each other and it's read, whether you have goosebumps or not, you worship God. That's what counts. I just don't feel like worshiping today. But you do it, right? It's not how, how you feel, but it's what the Word of God is about. God's people glory in the Gospel of Christ. Was it preached? Did you listen? Did you hear it, right? It's the revelation of the glory of God. Did you hear what I said? See, we're so far removed from what a cross is. Did you hear that? The glory of the cross. You ever heard of that before? The glory of the cross. That sounds contradictory. Well, God always seems contradictory, doesn't He? In the way that He sent His Son and a manger. I mean, it just go on and on. Everything is backwards. <laughs> okay, we have to close this down. But it says, May it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what, what does the word boast mean? Well, it means glory in. It means really praise. I praise the cross. Man, when you go into a synagogue and you start talking about that kind of thing, what kind of things are you going to have thrown at you? You might have the Torah thrown at you. One of those big things. I'm talking about one of these big scrolls. I had a Bible thrown at me one time whenever I gave the Gospel. A Bible. And it was his Bible. Right? So Paul probably had Torahs thrown at him. It means to glory and it means to exalt. It means to boast. It means to rejoice in the cross. That's what he boasted in. The doctrine of the cross was not taught by the Judaizers. It really wasn't. That's the theme of Holy Scripture. That's the red woven theme that's gone through. It's the thread from the book of Genesis through Revelation. That's what we preach. We rejoice in the cross. In the gospel. Isn't that the grounds of our very hope, our very confidence? What did Paul talk about? What did he talk about? That's what he talked about. He talked about the cross. We talked about some of the Olympics. Yeah, but it was all geared to the cross. <laughs> he talked about things about, you know, agriculture, but it was geared to the cross. When you get in a conversation with people, sometimes it's light. I like to talk, oh, let's talk football. Let's talk, uh, you know, you know, who's you know, who's the best team this year and you know, that's good to talk. But really, you know, the conversation ultimately, you want to get to what the ultimate is about. That's nothing. That that is I mean, to eternity, that is nothing. It's sad to hear some of these guys who've won World Series and Super Bowls and they have these rings. And it's all they have now. They're retired and they talk about, yeah, the, that day that I hit that one home run that was 490 feet. You know, and they said, nobody hit a home run in that stadium like that. I hear that. And I'm going, man, they're boasting. They're going back in their past. And if that guy is not a believer, this is it. It's all gone anyway. All he has is memories and he can't remember very good anymore either. <laughs> because the story gets bigger and bigger, you know. <laughs> To rejoice in the... What did Paul do? Okay. I'm, oh, my. Uh, 
grab it real quick. Galatians, and we're going to come back to this next week anyway. I told you we were. Galatians 1, 3, and 4. Grace to you, peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 4. Who gave Himself for our sins so that He might rescue us from this present evil age. Amen? According to the will of our God and Father, to Him be the glory forever. Amen. Uh, our sins, the, the, the cross, right? Uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Chapter 3, 1. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? Publicly portrayed. Being advertised about there for all to see. To be placarded. Uh, chapter 4, 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive the adoption as sons to redeem those under the law. How did He do that, right? How did He do it? Those just few verses. That's dealing with the cross. He preached the cross. It needs to be our passion. It needs to be what we're about. It needs to be what we talk about. It needs to be the, the, the focus. One who doesn't preach the cross... You get a preacher at a pulpit and he doesn't preach the cross in some manner or form. Don't, don't always have to use that word, but that's really, how can you go a few verses without talking about it? It's going to be there. And if you don't have that as your center focus, then that preacher's a fraud. Anybody who preaches without the cross, Christ, is a fraud. Paul could have boasted about himself, couldn't he have? Did he have things to boast about? Look what he did as a Jew. We have the blood atonement. We'll get into that next week. We have the legal propitiation. We were supposed to do that this week. We have the substitutionary redemption. We have justification. All of those doctrines are found right there at the cross. I glory in the cross. My face is looking upward towards that cross. My eye is on the crucified one, right? Can we all say that? We see that sacrifice that was done once and for all, never to be done again. The cross. People are doing that that sacrifice of the Mass today, and that's adding on to the cross. The cross is not the central focus there, folks. Yeah, they might have Jesus on the cross hung up there, but really, they have to keep taking that piece of bread that's supposed to be Jesus literally in the flesh. Is that a lie? Can I say that? that that's, a, that's a lie. That's boldface. That is false teaching. And that religion is a false teacher system. Even though it has a lot of things that we hold true. I trust Christ and the whole of His work for my righteousness on that work at the cross. Nothing added to it. And we identify with Christ and the cross. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Let us all glory in Jesus Christ. Father, You are the great God. Thank You for this message of the cross, the old cross that has been taught through the ages and throughout the whole Bible. And ultimately we see it openly in the New Testament and as Paul brags about it. The work of Christ on the cross its the only way that we can be presentable before a holy, awesome God. And thank You for doing that, Lord. And as we finish up the book of Galatians, we pray that this message will always be on our heart and what the true Gospel is. 
In Jesus' name, amen. amen. And uh,